Well, good morning, folks. Uh, I pray that you're doing well and that you're ready to jump into God's Word this morning. Um, like I say all the time, if you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, I want to ask you to turn with me this morning to Job chapter 1. We'll be looking in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2 this morning. Uh, but this is the second message in our series on dealing with the devil. And, and as I said last week, it's important for you and I to not only be aware, but to be alert of the various methods and the various devices that the devil uses to attack us. Uh, but a lot to cover and a little bit of time to do it in. I want to open up with a word of prayer this morning. And so if you would join with me as we begin uh, our time in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. God, we thank you for the time that we had to worship you in song this morning. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of music, how it soothes the soul, even in times like this. Lord, I pray that you'll be with uh, those who are working on the front lines, our doctors and caregivers, and even those that are uh, cleaning the various hospitals and facilities uh, to keep them safe for new patients and family members. Lord, I pray that today that you would uh, be with me, use your word to not only to bless, to encourage, but also, God, that we might be challenged uh, as we finish our service today to, to put into application the things that we learn from you today. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody that's watching or listening that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, that today would be that day in which they call out upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of their sin and that they might enter into a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, I pray that you'll have your will in your way now during this time, and we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. And we pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, and for his sake, amen and amen. Well, right from the outset, I want us to uh, remember, uh, and uh, kind of an interesting way to start, but remember, the devil is not our friend. He's not your friend, and he's not my friend, uh, no matter what he says, no matter what he tries to do in our lives, folks, if it were up to him, uh, he would actually shut down all forms of worshiping the Lord completely. But we cannot allow him to do that. As, as 1 Peter 5 and verse number 8 tells us, uh, you and I, we need to be sober. We need to be vigilant because our adversary, uh, the devil, as a roaring lion, the Bible says, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And uh, last week, as we looked at God's word, uh, we were cautioned about his approach as that subtle serpent. Remember uh, in Genesis chapter three, as he approached Eve and, and uh, set about to attack her mind. Uh, today, we're going to notice in, in uh, the book of Job that his approach is much different when it comes to Job. And what we know through Scripture is that uh, the devil or Satan or Lucifer has many various names and descriptions uh, but before we get to uh, the passage where I want us to begin, I want to uh, show you something in Revelation chapter 9, and I'm going to flip over there, Revelation chapter 9 and verse number 11. I want to read one verse to you, and this one verse gives us a couple more descriptions about the devil, and the Bible says, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon. And that word abaddon there means destroying angel or destruction. But notice it goes on. It says, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. And Apollyon simply means destroyer. And that's exactly what we'll see in our message today. When we deal with the devil, sometimes he seeks to destroy our lives. 
He not only uh, walks about seeking to deceive us through the attacks of our mind, but sometimes he, he sets his sights on our destruction, right, through various forms of suffering. And so that's what we'll see in God's Word today. And so look with me uh, in Job chapter 1. And uh, as we get ready to read, I want us to draw our attention to verse number 6. Uh, but just some fun facts for you about Job from verses 1 through 5. And you can read this, and I would encourage you to read Job 1 and Job chapter 2 on your own, even after the message is over. Uh, but the first five verses tell us a lot about Job. They tell us that uh, he's uh, perfect, he's upright, he's a guy that fears God. Um, he's a guy that turns away or eschews evil. He's got uh, seven sons and three daughters. We know jo uh, Job was a wealthy man, and you can see all the information about his flocks and herds and, and, and whatnot. And the Bible actually says he was one of the greatest men in all the East. And so he's a man of honor and integrity. Uh, but the Bible also tells us that he's a man that regularly worshiped God. He was a man that prayed for his children. And so you can learn all kind of information about Job, but let's look, draw our attention in verse number six. And we're going to read, and I'm going to make some comments as we read along this morning. But notice what the Bible says, beginning in verse number 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God, or the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, When comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And so that certainly is a reference to 1 Peter 5.8. Same thing he says he's doing today. And verse 8, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God, and, uh, uh, and escheweth evil. In other words, he turns away from evil. And then notice verse number 9, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? And so it's important to understand that in verse number 9, Satan is actually insinuating that Job doesn't actually fear and worship and love God sincerely, but that the only reason he does it is uh, out of a selfish desire for himself, right? He's, he's watching out for his own self. And so that's the reason he, he loves the Lord. But notice in verse 10, the Bible goes on. In verse 10 says, "'Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house?' and about all that he hath on every side. He says, Thou hast blessed uh, the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. And so the devil actually recognizes God's power in Job's life. And then in verse number 11, he says, But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will curse thee to thy face. And so Satan says, Hey, listen, I recognize your power in his life. He said, but if you'll withdraw your power, if you'll take away your protection, you'll take away all that you've provided in his life, this man will curse you to your face. And so in verse number 12, we see that the Lord says unto Satan, notice what he says. He says, behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. And so God says, hey, I'm going to allow you to go ahead and and." and put some suffering into his life. He says, but here, I'm going to set the boundaries. And so verse 12 says, so Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And so essentially, the devil leaves the staff meeting, so to speak, with power and authority as given to him by God. Now, what's interesting to me is that this entire conversation takes place and it's all unknown to Job, which is kind of scary. 
The fact that the devil and, and God, they're, they're having this conversation about Job. And in fact, I've often wondered myself as I look at this passage, how many conversations have the devil and God had about me? How many conversations maybe have they had about you? And, and how many times has the devil sought to destroy your life and my life? And so what we see is, keep looking on in verses 13 through 19, Scripture actually reveals how the devil sets out, about to, uh, sets out to destroy Job's life. In verses 13 through 15, we see that the Sabaeans, uh, these Arabian robbers, they come and they take away all the uh, oxen and all the donkeys and, and the servants, they die. And then verse 16, there's a fire from God, a lightning or thunderbolt that sets a fire ablaze and, and burns up 7,000 sheep and and kills all those that are tending the sheep. And then we see uh, that the Chaldeans come and, and they basically carry away all of uh, Job's camels, and, and not, but not before slaying the servants of the camels, right? And then we see in verses 18 and 19 that a tornado, this, this, this basically this great wind from the wilderness is used to destroy his oldest boy's house and all of his children die. But what I want you to see is how does Job respond to this initial attack from the devil? Look in verse 20, because we see that his response, it's written here, it says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head, which is a sign of mourning, and fell down upon the ground in humility. And notice, it says he worshipped. And then in verse 21, And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, verse 22 says, in all of this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Foolishly. So what I see is instead of cursing God, instead of blaming God, just like the devil said he would do in verse number 11, Job actually adores God. He actually gives him glory and worships him and thanks him and, and praises him for his sovereignty, for his justice, but also for his goodness. Right here, his initial response. You see, I believe that Job understood that every good gift and every perfect gift, every gift of nature, every gift of protection and provision that had been given to him was given to him by his heavenly Father. So in the midst of suffering, I see that Job honors and he glorifies God. And I don't know about you, but I can only imagine that the devil didn't like it. He was not, he was not pleased with this initial outcome to his initial set of attacks. And so what we see in chapter 2 is that it's staff meeting, so to speak, once again with the angels and God. And so here comes the devil again. But what I want you to draw your attention to in chapter two right away is verse number three, because it's almost as if the Lord is kind of poking a jab at the devil. And notice what the Bible says. It says, and the Lord said unto Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job? Here we go again. He says, have you considered Job? But there's none like him in the earth a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and escheweth evil. And still, he says, he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest against him to destroy him without cause. And so when I think about this, last week we began to read how the devil attacked Eve's mind. And we've already seen in chapter one how the devil tries to attack all these various things in Job's life. But I see here in chapter two, right after this, that the devil has a new target. 
And his target this time is his body. And, and that's what happens. The devil targets our bodies. When we think about it, he had already attacked his family. He had attacked his servants. He attacked all of his possessions. But now, as that roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour, he, he, he desires to devour more. And in verse number four, look at verse number four of chapter two. It says, and Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. In other words, he was saying, hey, Job only worshiped you because he himself was not harmed. The last time you didn't let me touch him. I was only able to touch his, your, his, his wealth and his, and his family and whatnot. You didn't allow me to attack he himself. And so he didn't, he didn't, he didn't curse you. But notice verse five, he says, but put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse thee to thy face. And notice verse number six. And the Lord says unto Satan, behold, he is in thy hand, but save his life. And verse seven tells us that the devil, he actually smotes Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And so what I see is from head to toe, Job is now covered with this evil inflammation. And if we were to summarize everything that we've seen very quickly, and I'm moving quickly on purpose, we see that Job had already lost the fruit of his body when he lost his children. He had already lost the means to sustain his body, all of his flocks and herds and wealth. And now, here in chapter 2, he loses his health, the health of his body. Oh, in a way, all of these attacks combined are basically body blows. And that's exactly what the devil does. He, he seeks to destroy our lives. In fact, in John chapter 10 and verse number 10, Jesus himself said that the thief cometh not but for to kill, uh, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He is a destroyer and he wants to destroy our lives. In verse number 8 of chapter 2, things are so bad that Job takes a pot shirt, which is most likely a piece of, of, of pottery or stone, and it says that he uses it to scrape the boils off of his body. And then in verse number 9, Job's wife, who, by the way, I'll just be honest with you, she's no doubt been spared by the devil in round number 1 when he attacked the rest of Job's family. She's been spared for this moment to become Job's tempter if you please, in round number two. And so notice in verse number nine, she comes to her husband and this is what she says. She says, dost thou still retain thy integrity? She says, curse God, curse God and die. In other words, renounce him. And so she's actually urging Job to do exactly what Job, or, or exactly what the devil told God Job would do. Remember, Job says, hey, if I take everything that he has, he said, he'll curse you to his face. In, in Job 1, verse 11. And then in Job 2, verse number 5, he says, hey, if you let me attack his body and his bone and his flesh, if you'll let me attack him, he's going to curse you to his face. And so Job's wife says, hey, listen, curse God and die. And then in verses 11 through 13, I see that Job's friends, oh man, what a group of guys, they come to, uh, to mourn Job's condition. And the Bible says that they end up watching him in total silence, for a week, as Job's agony gets worse and worse, he, he's suffering more and more because of this inflammation. The bottom line, folks, is, is that the devil's attack was thorough. His attack on Job's body was thorough. And this is not the only time that he's done this. 
There have been times that he, he attacked others down through the quarters of time. In fact, if you look in the New Testament, just a few examples in the New Testament alone. In Matthew chapter 9, the devil attacks and, and evil, he puts an evil influence on a, on a guy. The guy becomes deaf. He's unable to speak. In Luke chapter 13, he binds a woman for 18 years with an affliction. And then over in Matthew chapter 17, the devil actually attacks a child. You see, there's, there's no escaping the fact that if need be, the devil will attack our bodies. Maybe you felt those attacks time and time again. But I have to ask myself, why does, why does the devil attack our body? Last week I was thinking, why does he attack our mind? And so this week I'm asking the question, why would he attack our body? And I think very quickly you can see a few thoughts. Number one, I believe he attacks our body because our body is God's temple. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He wrote these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, what, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, the apostle Paul was absolutely convinced of this. He knew that his body would be attacked on at various times, which is why he wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians 1.20 uh, when he said, he said that he, that Christ, he said, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether it's through my life or through my death. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to magnify Christ. I know that my body may suffer at times, but I'm going to magnify Christ. Oh, my friends, God is invisible. The world cannot see him physically. But I can tell you that you and I as Christians, we can be seen. And how we conduct our lives in this body that we have been given is extremely important. We have an opportunity to bring God honor and glory. Which is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 16, He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, by the way, done in your body, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Oh yes, God wants to use this body, uh, by the way, which He designed and gave to us as a way that you and I can reveal Him and His truth and His love to a world that needs to know Him. Yes, it's been said that our lives may be the only Bible that some people ever read. How we use the gift of life, how we use our body is incredibly important. In fact, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, uh, in verse number 9, he said that as believers that we should show forth the praises of Him who hath called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Oh yes, all of creation, including our bodies, reveal the power, the wisdom, and the glory of God. And when the devil, when Satan attacks our bodies, he is attacking one of the ways that God wants to use to reveal Himself to those who still need to know Him. Oh, He attacks our body because it's, it's God's temple. He also attacks our bodies because it, uh, we are God's tools, right? In Romans chapter 6 and verse number 12, the Bible says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members, watch this word, as instruments of righteousness unto God. God wants to use our body as a tool 
to bring Him honor and glory. And the devil wants to destroy that tool. But what I know from Scripture is that when God wanted an ark to be constructed, He used Noah and his family. When God wanted a tabernacle to build, Exodus chapter 36 tells us that He used the hands and the minds of people like Bezalel and Aholiab and the other wise-hearted members and helpers. In the New Testament, Jesus used the hands and the feet of His disciples to serve the others fish and bread. He also used His disciples, their lips and their tongues including you and I today, to preach the gospel. Oh yes, God wants to, to use our bodies. You know, when we allow ourselves to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, He wants to use our bodies to get His work done. Romans chapter 6 that I just read a few moments ago, in verse 12 and 13, the word instrument that I told you to pay attention to, it actually can be translated as the word tool or weapon. Oh, my friends, we should never underestimate the importance of our bodies to be used for God's glory. Romans chapter 12 and verse number one, the Apostle Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Oh, listen. We have to be very careful not to become careless with this gift of our bodies and our health and our well-being because when we do that, we play right into the hands of the destroyer who seeks to attack our bodies. Oh, he attacks because our bodies are the God's temple. Our bodies are God's tool. But also, I see from Scripture that our body is God's treasury. Oh yes, we have the living God residing inside of us after salvation. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7 says this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Oh, we've been given this treasure at the moment of salvation. God has invested this in you and I so that it might flow in and through us to others. Oh, yes, it's incredibly important because, see, the devil will try to rob the world of spiritual wealth again and again, and he does this by attacking the bodies of believers like you and me. And by the way, he, he has the target, right, of our body, but he also has a weapon that he likes to deploy, too, when he attacks our body. And that weapon this week, I believe, is suffering, right? His weapon is suffering when he attacks Job. His goal is to bring about major, major suffering. Last week we were talking about the devil as a deceiver in the fact that he attacks the mind. But here's what I want you to understand and, and recognize with me is he might be attacking my mind at the same time he attacks my body. He doesn't give up one attack simply because he's, he's, he's unleashed another attack. And so we have to be careful to understand the wiles or the methods of the devil. But the good news in our text is that Job actually maintains his steadfast faith in God through it all. No matter what the devil did, right? Chapter 1, chapter 2, and on and on. No matter what he did, Job knew that God was in control. When the devil wanted to attack Job's possessions, God had to give him permission but he set the boundaries. In chapter 2, the devil wants to attack Job's person, but God, yes, he allows it, but he also sets boundaries or limits in that attack. It's very similar to what Jesus said to Peter in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31 and 32. Notice Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. 
But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Oh, this is good news because this tells me Satan cannot touch the child of God without God's permission, right? Which it should encourage us. He asked to attack Job's possessions. God says, okay, but here's the limits. He attacked to attack his body. He said, okay, but here's the limits. And it should encourage us because here's the thing. If God allows it to start, then he's more than able to command it to stop, right? He can command it to stop. Oh, what a great God we serve. But the one thing I don't see in Job chapter 1 or chapter 2 and on and on, the one thing that God doesn't do, He does not control how we respond to suffering. He doesn't control how Job responds. And you see, there's a number of ways that we suffer. There's, there's natural suffering, you know, that we all suffer. You know, with the gradual breakdown of our bodies, we, the way that we deal with sickness and our reactions to sickness, uh, injury, um, slowing down. Anybody else slowing down besides me? Uh, our eyesight goes bad. Our hearing goes bad and on and on. These are natural ways that we suffer. And those are not times that we should blame the devil for that. That's just natural and is going to come to each and every one of us. But Paul knew all about suffering. And he said in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 18, he said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. It didn't matter what he faced. He knew that God's honor was at stake. Sometimes God allows suffering, you know, other than just natural suffering, sometimes God allows suffering in order to discipline us. God loves us right where we are. When we come to Christ through faith in Jesus, when we come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, He loves us right where we are, but He loves us too much to leave us there, right? We cannot continue to walk in, in proverbial uh, disarray, disobedience, and rebellion. And so sometimes God uh, allows suffering in our lives to discipline us. That's what Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 5 and 6 tell us. In verse 5, it says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. In verse number 6, it goes on, it says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Oh, my friends, chastening is not the work of an angry judge who's trying to persecute and punish us. It's the work of a loving father who simply wants to discipline us. He simply wants to discipline us. And here's what I know. Sometimes chastening does not, be, uh, does not come into our life because of sin. Absolutely. There are times when God needs to give us the proverbial spanking. You remember David's sin with Bathsheba in the Old Testament. And you may recall the story. Uh, he tries to hide his sin for a year or more. And if you were to read Psalm 32, you would find out that David talks about his physical suffering, his emotional suffering, and his spiritual suffering, that, that he felt the heavy hand of God upon him during that time. Oh yes, sometimes though, it's not about giving us the proverbial spanking though. Sometimes God allows suffering simply to build us up and to discipline us. Oh yes, that's, that's one of the ways we suffer. Another way that we suffer is God allows suffering to perfect us. Right? He wants, to, he, he wants to bring about perfection in our lives. He wants us to conform more to the image of His dear Son. And sometimes it doesn't matter whether we're walking in disobedience or obedience. 
In fact, in the Old Testament, Jonah, right? He's walking in disobedience and, and God places a storm in his life because he's disobedient and he won't go to Nineveh. But God stops his escape plan, so to speak, and brings a storm into Jonah's life. And, and Jonah ends up, you know, in the belly of a great fish. But if you and I were to read Jonah chapter 2, Jonah actually, it reveals his living death inside of that great fish. Brought about suffering because of his disobedience. But in Matthew chapter 14, after feeding the 5,000, Jesus sends the, the crowd away. He tells his disciples, he says, hey, get in a boat and go over across the Sea of Galilee. I personally am going to go up into a mountain and pray. And so what you find is the disciples do exactly what the Lord told them to do. They're walking in obedience, right? And they get out on the Sea of Galilee. And if you know the rest of the story, you know that the very next thing that follows is a storm. God sends suffering. And I believe the reason he sends suffering is to perfect them. Whether it was Jonah or his disciples or you or I, each instance that the Lord sent the storm, it was a test in order to perfect his children. Oh yes, yeah, sometimes suffering helps us. And we need to understand that not all suffering is satanic in origin. But we must, we must be on guard. We must be alert. We must be sober and vigilant, right? The destroyer has a target, right? Our bodies. His weapon is suffering. But what's the purpose in all of this? I believe we see the purpose here too. I believe he wants us to become impatient with God's will. Certainly, I think that's what he's doing with Job. He wants Job to become impatient. I think he wants Job to give up. And that's what he wants to do in our life. And while Job actually becomes impatient with himself and his critical friends, he never becomes impatient with God and he never loses his faith in God. Oh, certainly, you can read through the book of Job. He doesn't understand it all. That's clear. But he knew that he could trust God to bring him through and to ultimately vindicate him in the end. And it's amazing to me, there's 42 chapters, right, written in the book of Job. And yet Job is only mentioned once in the New Testament. And do you know where he's mentioned and do you know why he's mentioned? He's mentioned in James chapter 5. In verse number 11, notice what the Bible says. It says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and ye have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. This verse in James chapter 5 reminds us that Job is patient throughout all of his suffering. And it's also a reminder to you and me that patience is a huge part of our Christianity and our walk of faith. James also says in James 1, verses 2 and following, he says, My brethren, he says, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Folks, when you and I suffer, our patience will be tried for sure. Right? I've, I've always said many times I used to pray for patience. I stopped praying for patience because every time I would pray for patience, I would uh, be tested and put to the test. You see, and sometimes our impatience, we, we become impatient with what God's doing in our lives. And you may be feeling a little bit of impatience right now with everything that's going on in our world. But I can tell you this, sometimes our impatience is evidence of unbelief. 
It's evidence of unbelief because we, here's the thing, when we find ourselves restless and nervous and anxious about everything that's going on, and then what happens is we, we come to the point where we say, hey, guess what? God, thank you. I'm going to put my own plan into action. When I say to God that I'm going to put my plan into action instead of relying on him and his will and his plan for my life, what I'm saying is, God, I don't trust you. I have a problem with believing that this is meant for my good. That I have a problem believing that you're using this in a way that is good for me. And so sometimes impatience is evidence of our unbelief. In fact, Isaiah 28 and verse 16, the end of that verse says, He that believeth shall not make haste. And if I was to go to Hebrews chapter 6, the Bible tells us not to be slothful, but to be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You see, faith and patience go hand in hand. Trusting God, my friends, sometimes is simply going to require you and I to have to wait on God. David knew that. In Psalm 27, in verse number 14, David tells us, he, he writes, he says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Oh, listen, sometimes impatience is evidence of unbelief, but other times impatience is evidence of our immaturity. Right? Sometimes we're just a little bit immature. It's like when, we're when we were children. I remember as a kid, sometimes my brothers and sisters, mom and dad, we would all pile in the car and we would take a vacation. And I remember maybe 20, 30 minutes, maybe an hour tops after we leave the house, we're all screaming from the back, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And sometimes I think we do the same thing with God. We're suffering. We're in the midst of a period of suffering in our life. And we're like, God, are we there yet? Is it over? Could you take this suffering away from me? Oh, sometimes it's just a sign of being impatient. It's a sign of being immature, if you please. Oh, patience cannot be learned by reading a book or hearing a lecture. The only way we learn patience is going through the trials and the sufferings of this life, if you please. I put down here in my notes, sometimes we simply have to go through the fire. Because sometimes our suffering in life are tools that God uses to mature us, to build us up, to, to discipline us, to perfect us, to cause us to trust Him more and more. And so the devil, he targets our body. His weapon is suffering. His purpose is to get us to become impatient. But man, I got some great news for you today because God does not leave us defenseless. He's given us a weapon that you and I can deploy and that we have at the ready that we can use when it comes to times of suffering. And our defense is the grace of God. Oh, not only did Job cling to the grace of God, the apostle Paul did. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 7 through 10, the Bible says this, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Notice where Paul says it comes from, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, here's God's answer to Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, Paul said, therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. He says, for when I am weak, oh, praise the Lord. He says, when I'm weak, then am I strong? And you and I, we really don't know what the thorn in Paul's flesh was. But what I see is that this man prayed once and again and again. And he's asking God, can you remove the suffering? And Paul didn't get the answer that he wanted. But praise the Lord, God gave him the answer he needed. Look again at verse number 9. Because here's what God said. He said, listen, Paul. He said, I know you're struggling. I know you're suffering. He said, but my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. It was Peter who wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 10, But the God of all grace who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish you, strengthen, and settle you. Oh folks, our God is the God of all grace. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit that indwells us is the Spirit of grace. When we go to God's throne, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that it's the throne of grace. And, and we look at God's Word in Acts 20, we know that this is the Word of grace. Oh yes, God's grace is His provision for you and I. And it's not some mystical substance that you and I just sprinkle out every once in a while. It's His bountiful supply that you and I can hold on to and cling to. In times of great suffering, when that old subtle serpent seeks to destroy our lives. Truly, God has given us everything that we have. And in Him, we have everything that we need. In fact, you and I, we have been saved by grace. We have been blessed by serving grace. And much like the churches of Macedonia, those churches that were afflicted, we have the ability, yes, even now, today, we have the ability to abound in sacrificing grace. And when the Word of God is dwelling richly inside of us, as Colossians chapter 3 says, we are encouraged to execute singing grace. Colossians chapter 4 reminds us that when you and I communicate with one another, that it's important that you and I exercise speaking grace. Oh yes, let our words be seasoned with salt. And as we seek to please the Lord through these various daily battles that we face, you and I can utilize the strengthening grace of Jesus Christ. And yes, much like Job and much like Paul, ultimately you and I, when we find ourselves suffering, we can actually make use of that suffering grace that God told Paul all about. Oh, we have been blessed by the grace of God. So, so aside from God's grace, what else can we do? What, what, is, what, is, what are some secrets to success, if you please? What, what, what other uh, weapons do we have in our arsenal? Well, I would just say, first of all, that the grace of God is all we need. But here's some helpful hints for you maybe today that you might uh, put into play. Number one, I would suggest that we submit to God. That we would submit ourselves to God. In James chapter 4, the Bible says, verse 7 and 8, he says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In other words, when you and I take time to draw nigh to God, when we resist the devil, we make an effort to resist him, the Bible says he, the devil, will flee from you. Verse number 8 tells us to draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to us. Job said in Job 13 and verse number 15, Though he slay me, yet... Will I trust in Him? 
Oh, we need to submit to God. But here's a strange one I'm going to give to you. I think we also need to thank God. We need to thank God for the trial that we're going through. And even though the suffering may be difficult, right? And I've been there, I've been there, and I could write a chapter on this. You, your body feels like it's, it's, it's leaving you, and you feel like the suffering is so agonizing and excruciating. We can thank God for the trial in our life. In fact, Ephesians 5 and verse number 20, the Bible says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 18, the Bible says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I know it sounds silly, but maybe it's time we just say thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, not only for saving my soul, but thank you for the fact that you're giving me your grace that's sufficient for me to be able to bear up and to suffer well for your honor and glory. Oh, we need to submit to God and we need to thank God, but I also think we need to spend time with God. We need to, we need to spend as much time, in other words, uh, with God and His Word. We need to, uh, as I said last week, we need to be in God's Word. And while you and I can look at passages like Isaiah and 54 and 17 where it talks about there's no weapon that's formed against us that's going to prosper, I think we need to hide ourselves in the Word of God. In fact, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, in verse number 67, it said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have kept thy word. In five verses later, in verse number 71, the psalmist says, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. What? He says, it's good that I was afflicted. He says, that I might learn thy statutes. You know, sometimes when we go through suffering, it causes us to set our affections above, right? To seek those things that are above. To, to, to draw our attention to what God has to say. And so we need to submit to God and thank God and spend time with God. But here's the last one. And this is going to sound strange as well. I think we need to glorify God. We need to look for ways to glorify God. You see, God wants to use our body in ways that bring Him honor and glory. And we need to remember, we need to understand that that dirty, dirty devil, he wants to destroy our body in a way that disgraces our God. Oh, we need to glorify Him. Like Job and even Paul, suffering patiently, suffering patiently actually brings God glory. If we live to please ourselves, I wrote down in my notes, if we live to please ourselves, the devil wins. But if we live to glorify God, then the devil loses. Oh, when it comes to the devil's attacks on our bodies and his desire to make us suffer and his purpose to get us to become impatient with God, it's the grace of God, right? The grace of God is the weapon that actually can defeat him. As we hold on to God's grace in the midst of that suffering, that's what will enable us to, be, to defeat the devil. And by the way, that grace that I'm talking to you about can only be found in the God of all grace. And so I pray today that you will take a hold of God in a new way, that you will recommit yourself to holding on to that wonderful, wonderful grace of God. If you've never trusted Christ, I pray that you will claim that amazing grace of God, right? I once was blind, but now I see. 
because of what Jesus did for me. Listen, I encourage you, whatever your need is today, that you'll do business with the Lord as we enter into a time of prayer. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to, to not only to see how we have to uh, withstand the attacks of the devil, but God, how that we might be able to deal with the devil effectively, that we might have that we have this defense mechanism, your wonderful grace that we can deploy in our lives and we can cling to. And in the midst of suffering, we can understand that you never leave us, you never forsake us, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, help us to, to make use of the wonderful grace that you have given to each and every one of us. And Lord, I pray that today, that if there's somebody watching or listening that has never, never claimed that amazing grace, never taken hold of it, never understood your great love wherewith you have loved them, that God, today, that they might understand that love, and that they might from their heart, pray a prayer and call out on the name of the Lord for forgiveness. And that they might trust Christ. That they might ask the Lord to come into their lives and to change them from the inside out. Lord, I pray that there are people that would make that decision today, Lord, for your honor and for your glory. But Lord, I also pray that others of us as believers that we might be able to bear up, that we might be able to, with patience, that we might be able to endure the sufferings of this life, whether the attacks come at our minds, whether the attacks come at our possessions, at our wealth and our livelihood, or whether the, the attacks of the devil come against our bodies and the desires to bring about suffering and the desire to get us off track and to become impatient with your love and your goodness and your, your will for our lives. God, I pray that we as believers would hold fast to your goodness and your mercy. God, I pray that you'll be honored and glorified by the lives that we lead. Lord, we love you and we thank you and praise you for the time that we've had together. God, I pray that you'll dismiss us with your blessing and that you'll be honored in the coming days by everything that we think, everything that we say, and everything that we do. And we ask this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior and for his sake, amen and amen. Well, I pray that you've been blessed from the word of God. I get energized every time I get into God's word and man, to know that yes, the battle is real, but man, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I love you and look forward to meeting with you soon on this same Battlefield Baptist Church channel. God bless you.